Well, uh, if I have not met you yet, my name is Cody McMurray. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church. And uh, I hope that uh, you have uh, something to take notes with. We, uh, if you notice, whenever you're walking in, we handed out little uh, journals from the Gospel of John so that as we are walking through the Gospel of John, you have something to write on, something that you can remember, kind of a, an Ebenezer, if you will, that as God is speaking to you through this time of corporate worship together with his saints, uh, there's something that you can go back to and say, um, this is what God was speaking to me and speaking uh, through his word and by his spirit as we gathered corporately together this morning. So I encourage you to do so. This passage that Shara read for us this morning is all about trust. Trust, right? What we do trust, who we do trust, and what we actually should trust. And what's interesting about this passage is I've never seen a catechism that said, you know, the one thing about Jesus is he didn't trust anyone. That's who Jesus is. Who's the la- when's the last time you heard that? Well, there's one thing about Jesus. He, he loves the world. And also, you need to understand this. He didn't trust anyone, but that's what we see in this passage, right? Verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Now, this is talking specifically about these believers that were here at Passover whenever he was speaking to them. But it also says he knew all people. He understood everyone. And so, therefore, therefore, uh, it's interesting, right? When's the last time you taught your kids that Jesus didn't trust anyone? But that's what we see here in this passage. And you might be wondering, if you're anything like me, that as we've been studying and going through the Gospel of John, what's really interesting about the, the, the beginning sections of the stories that John cho- chooses to tell us and to reveal to us about Jesus is they almost seem count, uh, contradictory a little bit. You see him at the, the, at the wedding feast whenever he's asked a question and he's kind of disheveled a little bit, but then he performs a miracle. Why? Just to keep the party going. So we said that Jesus is the Lord of joy. He's trying to keep everything going together. He is so reflexive in helping us. He is so reflexive in just being kind and gentle to us, is he not? And yet then in chapter 2, what do we see? Immediately after that, whip of cords, right? And driving people out of the temple. And then right here, it says he doesn't trust anyone. Why, why is Jesus uh, being revealed this way? Is he schizophrenic? No, no. Jesus is perfect. He's perfect. And so therefore, because you and I don't know any perfect people, it makes sense whenever we see confusing things about this perfect man. It makes sense, does it not? that we see something about Jesus that is, that is uh, a little bit confusing to us, it's probably because he's perfect and we're not. We, wouldn't, we would not do things the same way that Jesus does things. And what we see here is that Jesus is actually just a full man. He's perfectly complete. And so we see the whole pendulum of his fullness. In, in a way that uh, I've heard one pastor describe it is, um, I love children, I love babies, so therefore I hate abortion. And because of, because of that, because of that, and that shock factor of just that word that's thrown, thrown around in our culture, you know, what, is that, what does that mean? Is that right? Is that right? And the answer is yes, it is right. To, to, to re- truly love children, you have to hate the thing that steals their life. In the same way, Jesus, 
Jesus is looking at people, and as he's engaging with people, he says, I love them, but yet I hate the thing that is destroying them. I hate their sin. I love people. I hate their rebellion. And so we see the full picture of a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the God-man, fully man, fully human, and also fully God. And so we see the fullness and the perfection of who he actually is. And so what we see in this man is this, is there's a group of people here in this passage that says that they believed in him, right? They believed him. They believed him, yet, yet Jesus did not entrust himself to them. So what was wrong? Was Jesus wrong in this? No, their faith, their faith was wrong. You see, you and I cannot dupe Jesus with some fake faith. You and I cannot dupe Jesus. He knows everything about every single person. He is the perfect man, and he will not be confused. He will not have the wool pulled over his eyes if we do not have real, biblical, robust, saving faith. You cannot define faith on your own terms and then say, Jesus has to take me to heaven based on the faith that I defined according to me. You have to define faith according to his terms according to him and him alone. What he says faith is, and only what he says faith is, is the only saving faith. This is the perfection of Jesus. See, Jesus is God. He's God, and he looks at our hearts the same way that God does, according to um, our call to worship. It came from 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on that outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. Jesus is looking at their heart, and, and he realized that there's something desperately wrong with their faith. It wasn't a faith that actually saved them. It was a faith in something because it said that they believed in him, right? But it wasn't the faith that saves. And so it's very important for us this morning is to try to look and see what is this faith? What is the faith that Jesus demands that we have as we move forward? What is the faith that Jesus demands that we have in order to move forward? Because this is what we see. Jesus doesn't trust them. He doesn't trust them. And in this passage, what we're going to learn today is that, listen, you should probably be skeptical of your own heart as well. If you're following Jesus based on some unique feeling that you've had or based on some elementary understanding of what faith is and you realize that my faith is not rooted in scripture, I don't really read it, I don't, I'm, I'm not really invested in it, I've just been on the periphery of church for the majority of my life, I, I, I was raised in Sunday school and I kind of have these elementary answers that I don't even know if I can proof text for you at all. But I have assurance in my own heart that I am saved. You should be skeptical of that because Jesus is skeptical, skeptical of that. We should be skeptical of it. And we should define our terms according to what Scripture says, according to the Holy Spirit as defined in Holy Scripture. And so we see a couple of things here in this passage. And I'll, this is the outline for today. That on the outside, people can look like they're doing okay. On the outside, people can look like they have it all together. On the outside, they can have the Sunday school answers. On the outside, they can have the catechisms memorized. They can, they can have all these things, but Jesus looks on the inside. He looks on the heart, and he sees rottenness. He sees rottenness in every single human heart. 
And because of that, we should not trust our own hearts, but we should trust in Jesus who loves our rotten heart. All right? So let's go. Let's move forward. What? What is the first thing we see here? That on the outside, on the outside, you can look at some people and they can look like they have it all together. What we see here in verse 23 is Jesus is leaving or he's leaving the, the Passover feast. And according to John, he did a lot of signs during this time. Remember last week, if you're here with us, this is whenever he made the whip of cords and he drove everyone out of the temple. Well, a historian said that there could have been up, upwards of 600,000 people that went through Jerusalem during this time. And they were all centering their visit on one place, one primary location. You know what that was? The temple, where Jesus... Um, um, opened up a can of whoop trash on everyone and started turning over tables and, and, and making a whip and everything like that. And so he got real serious about this temple place and everyone that was visiting Jerusalem was going straight through there. You don't think they were talking about this? You don't think Jesus was the talk of the town? Of course, Jesus was the talk of the town right here. This was the buzz that was going on in the community. And so whenever it says many people believed in him, how much is many? It had to have been a lot. I mean, the, the people back here, they knew uh, in ancient Middle East, they knew how to count. They even knew how to count to 3,000. Uh, a couple of years right after this, how many people did they baptize in one single day after Pentecost? 3,000 people. And then it says, you know what? There was many, many people. John was like, there's many people that believed in his name. How many was that? Thousands? Potentially tens of thousands? But this is what's unique. How many people were with Jesus waiting on him, listening to every single word that he said, obeying what he said to do after, but right before he resurrected? About 120 in the upper room, according to Acts. So potentially tens and tens of thousands of people that were following after Jesus. And then right here, we see after his resurrection, everyone that was actually obeying, everyone that was actually following, only 120 people. Wow. So point blank, this is going to be in your face and a little, a little intense, but here, here it is, point blank. This is a, a way of saying that they accepted Jesus on their own terms right here, but Jesus didn't accept their terms. Here they had faith in Jesus according to their own definition, but Jesus says, I don't care what that definition is. You're only saved by my definition and my definition alone. And so this idea for them was that, yeah, we want the Messiah. We want him to come. And the Pharisees were like, hey, what, what, what proof can you give us that you have authority in the temple to do whatever you want? Because they knew zeal for my father's house would consume the Messiah. And that's the, that's the verse that he quoted. So he was saying that I'm going to be the Messiah. And they all said, okay, that's great. I want the Messiah to come. But they wanted they wanted the Messiah to come the same way, that we just want Jesus to be king of the world, but we don't want him to be king of our lives. Listen, did you hear that? Sometimes we just want Jesus to be in charge of the world so that he will straighten out all the Democrats or he'll straighten out all the Republicans or he'll straighten out all the anti-vaxxers, he'll straighten out all the, the vaxxers. We want, we want Jesus to do something to where he will be in, in control of the entire world, but that's really all we want from Jesus. Because Jesus, what he's saying is, you don't get me unless you get me according to the way that I say. 
And the only way that Jesus comes in is if he says, I'm Lord of your life. I'm Lord completely of your life. And so there's so many of us that have probably grown up in the church and we have to think and reflect and we have to look at the test. The test, the the Bible says so often, test yourself to see whether you're in the faith. To see if your faith is holding up to the scrutiny of the word of God. See, Jesus doesn't want any of us to be on the periphery. He wants us all. Not just to want Jesus to be Lord of the world, he wants us to be, he wants to be Lord of your life. The only way that you get to partake in what Jesus is doing for all of eternity is you accept him, you. Not, not the person next to you, not the person that you prayed next to, not, not them. You have to accept him according to, according to him being Lord of your own life. And so this passage tells us that a lot of people had faith, but he didn't entrust himself to them. This is what Tim Keller says. Uh, the, uh, he calls this miracle faith. Miracle faith. A lot of people liked Jesus because he was doing a lot of miracles here in the temple and in Jerusalem. But as soon as the miracle stopped, guess what? Their faith stopped. And he says, that type of faith, that you're only using Jesus for the cool things that he can do, you're only using Jesus for the power to transform the life of your family so that you can raise your kids the way that you feel like you need to raise your kids, that kind of faith does not save you. And you don't get to partake. You don't get to partake in what he's doing in the world if you don't receive him individually. That's what we see here in this passage. And so I gotta ask, I gotta ask is, what is your faith like right now? Is faith in Jesus just an accessory that you wear whenever you're feeling like you got it all together? Is, it, is, he, is he the nice watch that ties together um, the, the outfit of your life or is he at the centerpiece of who you are? Because what, what God is calling us to this morning is to understand the lordship of what he wants in your own life. Not just the world, everyone wants world peace. Everyone wants world hunger to end. Everyone wants everyone to be kind and empathetic towards one another. But what Jesus is calling, Jesus is calling to, is like, you can want that, but, not, but still want to be in control of your own life. You can want every, everyone else around you to get it all together so that you can have all the power to be in charge of whatever you want to do. And that's, that's the warning of, of this text. You know, I almost blew through this. I almost just skipped it. But look what it has for us this, for this day. It has for us the understanding that Jesus knows all. He knows everything. And he will not be duped by a fake, by a fake faith. So, what is your faith like? What is your faith like? Is it miracle faith? Let, 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 let me um, give a couple examples of what this looks like. Miracle faith is, sure, I'll follow Jesus when everything in my life is going the way that I want it to go. Everything in my life is going the way that I I would like it to go. Things are easy for me right now. So therefore, because things are easy and I I have good uh, life rhythms right now, I guess I can get up uh, on Sunday and go to church. And uh, man, you know, like right now I'm super busy, but maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go through membership. Maybe I'll get in a, one of those gospel community deals. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get uh, in one of those grow groups to talk about accountability and understand what the depths of my sin. Maybe I'll do all that, but that's, I'm only going to do that if and only if, if and only if everything is going okay. You see, 
See, that's you and that's me wanting, wanting the power of Jesus to transform our life, but not wanting the person of Jesus in an intimate relationship, in an intimate relationship. You see, we get duped by our culture into thinking that the real us, the real us is whenever we're experiencing the good, the good life. Whenever we're experiencing a life where everything is actually going our way, the, the, when, whenever we won the football game, whenever we, uh, you know, we got the new client, whenever the, the project is finished, whenever um, uh, you, you, you pass the test or whatever it is, that's whenever, that's whenever you feel like you are your true self, how you treated, how you treated your, your sweet mate after you aced the test. That's really you. That's really you. But the Bible communicates the real you, the, the, the underlying condition of your real heart is whenever things aren't going well, whenever you fail the test and how you treat people after that, whenever the client doesn't pay the invoice again, whenever you lose the football game by five or six touchdowns. That's the real you. That's the real you whenever you are surprised surprised by what's going on in your life and whenever everything isn't going right, that's the true condition of your heart. That's the true condition, how you're treating people then. I heard it say once that, uh, uh, you know, if you're looking for varmints and mice in your house, you don't need to be walking around your house like this in the middle of the night saying, ah, I wonder if there's any mice in here. Let me see. Oh, let's check this room over here. No, no. What do you, what do you have to do? to check for all the cockroaches and, and rats and mice in your, in your house. Got to sneak up on them, right? Got to sneak up on them. And that's the same thing that I'm trying to talk about. Whenever you're surprised in this life, that's the real you, according to the Bible. According to the Bible, the real you is on your worst day, what comes out of your heart? How do you treat people then? Whenever your kids are saying, are we there yet for the nine millionth and trillionth time? What comes out of your mouth then, <laughs> parents, is the real condition of your heart, is the real condition of your heart. And this is what we need to see. What is our faith, what is our faith in? What are, what are we hoping in? What are we hoping in in all of this? You see, we, we like to think that we're Cinderella at the ball instead of Cinderella in the single bedroom apartment, you know, being abused and like uh, all this other stuff. No, the real you, the real you is whenever, you know, the makeup isn't on. And that's what we need to try to understand, understand. So this is why Jesus doesn't trust us because he knows the real condition of our hearts. Because everyone, everyone in this room, including myself, is in the same, same situation. I was like, well, man, how, how do you get pure? How do you get, how do you get your heart pure? How, how do you not snap at the t nine millionth? Are we there yet? How do we not? How do we not do that, Cody? What? What? what are you heaping up? Way too too much responsibility for for us. Well, let's let's dive in a little bit deeper. Let's dive in a little bit deeper. Which I've already said this. He said, uh, Jesus knows deep in your heart all the rot that is actually there. He knows deep in deep in our heart the rot that's actually there. And this is what the rot is. This is the normal human condition of every, everyone's heart in this room, including my own, is deep, deep self-trust. We trust in ourselves 
and ourselves alone. Another way of saying this is we, this is going to be intense. You ready? We want to be God. We want to be Lord of our lives. We don't want God telling us what to do. We don't, we don't want to capitulate to the, to the word of God. We don't want to have to read it and do all those things and follow the, the Ten Commandments. We don't want, we know, we know the, the, the right and proper balance of our life, right? We know it. And we need to do the things that we feel like we should do whenever we feel comfortable doing it. You see, we want to run our own lives. We want to set our own standards. We want everything to revolve around us. That's the, nor- that's the rot, right? That's the rot that's in our own heart. And we wouldn't say that out loud. We wouldn't, we, we wouldn't say, hey, how you doing, Bill? Great, just a lot of rot, self-centered, you know, just I want everything to revolve around me. That's, that's pretty much where I'm at. Actually, it's pretty much where I'm at every day. We, you know, we don't say that. We, we try to put on the, the makeup of Cinderella. We try to put our best foot forward and we try to mask everything that's deep in our heart and put on these filters and say, oh, how can I keep, how can I keep um, myself from, how can I keep others from seeing the true self? See, uh, I'm a product of the 90s, so I always watch Tim the Toolman Taylor like every day. I, I don't know if anyone else has ever watched this show. If not, just hang in there with me. Tim, big Tim Allen fan. Um, I don't know any of his new stuff. Apparently he's still on TV, but Tim the Toolman Taylor, that was awesome. All right, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, I can go on, okay? But the, 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 the part that holds that entire show together is Tim working in his garage on the car, right? Whenever he's working on his hot rod and for like nine seasons, he's just working on the exact same car. But here's the thing, Tim is in charge of the, he's the creator of the car. He can do whatever he wants. He wants that thing to run on ethanol. He wants to put a jet engine on that. He is in charge of this car. He's Tim the Toolman Taylor who made this car. You see, you and I, we want to run our life like Tim the Toolman Taylor runs that car. We want to organize it the way that we want to organize it. We want to be in charge. We want to be the one that can go at our own pace in life. We want to be able to, to, to transform and make everything according to the desires that are deep in our own heart. We want to be God. We want to be God. And if you think, you know, like, Cody, I think you're wrong. I think, I think that's just like way too intense language. Then you have a problem with the Bible, the, the primary thing, the primary thing that the Bible is tr- trying to communicate to us is avoid all idolatry. Avoid it all. Because here's the condition of the human heart. You're just constantly making idols over and over and over again and saying, you are my God. And it all revolves around, what do I want right now? What, what should I turn my God into right now? And this is how we operate. And this is what we do, and this is how we move. And I think there's uh, probably, if you turn on the news or on Facebook or anything like that, uh, about every three months or so, about it probably happens three to four times a year, you'll see uh, a, a, a primary Christian leader in the news who is caught up in some scandal. And it makes the mainstream media news because the mainstream media is always trying to find an opportunity to really stick it to those evangelical Christians, right? And so um, 
over and over and over again, you'll see a celebrity pastor or someone that's a, a head of an, uh, some primary organization that has evangelical leanings uh, fall into some type of very, very public sin, whether it be an affair or something like that. And, uh, and the media kind of gloats and says, look at this, this hypocrisy over here. And if, if you pay attention to those things, which I typically do because um, it's kind of a little bit my world, um, so like if you're an auto mechanic, you probably watch Tim the Toolman Taylor. You know, obviously, um, I follow these news stories uh, pretty closely. And typically, there's two responses to whenever someone falls. It's number one, I, you know what, I haven't believed this in a long time, and I'm just, I'm done, and I don't care what you people say. I don't care what the, the mainstream media says. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this. I'm just gonna go and do this, and I, I don't love my wife anymore, and I'm just gonna go over here, and I'm gonna live my life, so y'all can just leave me alone now, and which is a really tragic thing. And there's another, there's another thing that happens quite frequently with Christian leaders is they give an apology, and if you listen to this apology, it's, it, it's, it's pretty revealing because it says, you know what, I just I, I cared too much I just cared about people, and it got really big, and the church got really big, and, and, and it kind of spiraled out of control, and I was overworking because I cared too much, and um, people were asking me to do things all the time, so I was working really, really late hours, and, and you know, uh, I just found this person that made me feel powerful and feel like I could get a sense of control over my life, and, and so I went and did that, but I'm sorry, I'm really sorry, and uh, it's really because I just cared too much, that's why. That's why, and what does that reveal? What does that reveal, really? It reveals, one, um, I'm, not the, I'm not the problem. Everything else and everyone else is the problem, AKA, I'm the center of the universe, even in my apology. Even in my apology, I'm showing everyone that the true self, uh, the, the true God that I follow is the God of me, the God of me. And I became too big to fail. And y'all should just all forgive me. You owe me, you owe me this forgiveness because look at all the things that I've done in, this pa- in the past. And listen, that person will never, the, the, those pastors, those leaders will never experience the forgiveness that is found in Christ because the primary thing that is our rottenness is we have to repent deep down to the core that you know what, the main problem was not the overwork. The main problem was not that I care too much. That's pathetic. The main problem was that I wanted to be in charge. I wanted to be filled, filled up. I wanted the, this entire thing to revolve around me, and I felt like it had revolved around me, and so therefore I could do no wrong. God complex, right? That's all it is. And they'll never be able to turn into, to transform into change until they admit the root of the matter. Until you, like Jesus says, you have to repent deep right in your heart. The, the, the root of what's really controlling and, and shaping who you are is at this core of your being, you want to be in control. That's why so many Christian leaders get into, minis- get into ministry to do What? I want the power of Jesus. I want the same power that Jesus has over people, but I don't really want him. I want to use him for your stuff. This is miracle faith. And as soon as that's gone, and as soon as the experience, the experience is gone, as soon as the power and prestige is gone, they're gone. They're gone as well. 
So we have to be extraordinarily careful about that. Or, like these pastors, me and you will get caught up in sin. Look, look at me. Me and you will get caught up in sin, and then we will easily justify our behavior. Because, and we'll say, hey, I'm sorry for that. But that's not real repentance. Real repentance is at the root of the matter. Real repentance is at the pr- deep down in your pride. In your pride. So this is what we have to see. We have to see that our sin is not a little pet thing. It's not a little kitten over here. Our sin is actually a roaring lion, a crouching tiger, hidden dragon, trying to devour our society, trying to devour your life. And what you are repenting from is a thing that is deep in your heart, that is not a little pet thing, but is a thing at the core of your being that is trying to kill you. Remember Cain? Remember Cain? Jesus comes, Jesus the Lord comes to Cain and says, Cain, what is going on? Don't you realize that sin is crouching at your door? It's, 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 it's desires to master you. It's, it's desires to devour you. This is not a little thing to play with. You must master it or it will devour you. But he didn't listen and he killed his brother. He killed his brother because all sin is trying to do is still kill and destroy. You say, Cody, doesn't the gospel mean good news? Where in the world is the good news in this message? (laughs) We are missing it. We need some. So how do we run away from the crouching tiger, hidden dragon of, of the deep pride that is in every single human heart? Well, this passage tells us. Remember what Jesus did? Remember what he did? In uh, the temple, they said, show, show us, prove to us that you have the authority to do this. What sign are you going to show us? What does he say? He says this. He says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I'm going to raise it up again. And they were confused by it, but the temple that he was talking about was his body. He said, the primary thing that you need and that I need is that someone to die in your place and raise from the dead. You see, Jesus didn't come. He didn't come to help the people of this day to understand the Ten Commandments a little bit better. He didn't want you to be a little bit more moral. He didn't want you to figure out a way to trust yourself more so that you could obey better. Because every other religion in the entire world does that. It says, uh, God is up the mountain, and here's the path to get to God up the mountain. Christianity is totally different. What does Christianity say? It says, God is at the mountain, and you're dead at the bottom of the mountain. So therefore, God has come down from the mountain, breathe new life into you, and then take you to him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, and it's totally different. It's totally different than every other religion in this world. It's totally different than you trying to trust in yourself to to give a little bit more money in the offering plate, for you to go to church a little bit more, for you to be a member of a church or whatever it is that you're you're appeasing, that you're appeasing your, your own confidence before the Lord. Are you appeasing the Lord? Have you defined faith according to your own plans and desires within your mind? Or are you defining faith according to the word of God? Because listen, listen, if we're not, if we don't have an objective reality of what biblical faith is, then guess what? All of us are just guessing. All of us are just guessing. And we're trying to find our way to God. We're making our own religion 
that says, I got to climb this mountain in Jesus' name, amen. And the gospel says, no, what you need, what you need is you need someone dying for you. You need a temple falling for your temple so that whenever it raises up, it breathes new life into you, into you alone. You have to repent from your self-trust. You have to repent. You have to repent from your, uh, you desiring to be God yourself because the only true God is the God that comes down from the mountain to get you. Whenever you're dead at the bottom of it, breathes new life into you and then grabs your hand and says, now I've done everything. Let me hold you and show you the path. I'm gonna take every step for you for we are good works created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. All of our hope is in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Stop, stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in yourself. And I, my fear is this. Look at me. Look at me in this room. My fear is this. As we hear this, right? We hear this. You want me to follow Jesus? Been there, done that. You want me to check under the hood and see what my heart is really trusting in? That's hard. I don't even know how to do that. Um, my, my, my fear is whenever you're thinking about all of this stuff, you think, how radical do you want me to get, Cody? How radical do you want Jesus? Uh, or how radical do you want me to get about Jesus? Man, that's the wrong question. That is the absolute wrong question. You want to know why? Because if that's the question you're, you're asking, you're just like, I just don't know. I don't know. Like, if I should go all the way with Jesus, because what if he, what if he takes me to do something that I don't want to do? What if, what if he demands too much of me? What if he takes that thing that's deep in my heart that I've never told anyone about, and what if he exposes it? What if he reveals it? If I go all the way with Jesus, and guess what? My life will be ruined. Friends, if that's your thought process, I promise you, you don't know him. Because when has Jesus ever when has Jesus ever, look at his life on earth. Was there anyone, was there anyone that wasn't blessed in the presence of the Lord? Of course not. Every time someone turned to him, he wrapped them up in, the, in their arms and he said, I love you, this is the way. This is the way. I, I, let me hold your hand. Let me speak tenderly to you. Let me be kind to you. And listen, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And so your relationship with him is based on the exact same principles of how he treated people whenever he was here on earth. He's gonna be kind to you. He's gonna be gentle to you. He's not like other kings. Remember, remember whenever Esther had to go before the king and said, I, I have to do the right thing. And I, I have to tell this king to help my people survive, to let them live. And if I perish, what did she say? Then I perish. If I perish, then guess what? I'll just perish. And she did the right thing, and she didn't perish. Listen, whenever we go before King Jesus, no one, no one has ever said before King Jesus, if I perish, I perish. No one. Why? Because Jesus is kind. He's gentle. He's lowly. He wants to wrap you up. He calls you his children. He adopts you as his own. And so whenever you're entering into a relationship with him, why are you nervous? Why would you be nervous about what Jesus is going to demand of you? He wants your holiness and he wants your happiness. That's the exact same thing, Christian. 
He wants you to be holy and happy. This is our God. Our God loves you. Give everything up for him. He gave everything up for you. Let's pray.